One. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Welcome in, everybody, episode 738 of the podcast. It is Speaking America, the Air Sports Podcast presented by Betfred Sportsbook. It is Monday. July 25th, 2023. People, I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody is having a great day. And I'll say this, for late July, not a lot of games going on. No games going on, as a matter of fact, in pretty much anything other than baseball. We got ourselves a jam-packed episode of the Aaron Torres Pod. Here's what you need to know about today's show. We're going to open Pac-12. They had their media day on Friday after our last episode. And I'll just say this. So very interesting comments from the commissioner about the present and future of this league. We got to break it all down. Some good, some not so good. Some I don't even believe we're going to discuss all of his comments. Also, we'll hit on some of the odds and ends from across the league outside of kind of the the, the big picture stuff. Caleb Williams essentially guaranteed a playoff spot for USC. We'll discuss that. He also may have kind of hinted that USC tampered to get a player in their program this offseason. We'll discuss that as well. Uh, and finally, one basketball topic. UConn picks up a big-time commitment over the course of the weekend. I believe we are on the verge of seeing a recruiting power in college basketball. Uh, UConn won a title, but they the, the recruiting, I feel like, could go to another level in the next two to three years. We will discuss all that. Uh, oh, by the way, before we get started, one quick little announcement. That is that if you want more college football and, you know, listen, if you just want more college football, let me say this. We have, as I said, ramped up the college football betting uh, feed and YouTube channel. So on top of the Aaron Torres pod, I do a separate show called College Football Betting with Aaron Torres. And right now we are ripping through all of the over under win totals of all the major programs in college football. We start with the SEC East a few weeks ago, SEC West. We're going to get to the Big Ten this week. Uh, so make sure to check that out. It is available on Apple, Spotify. We also have a separate YouTube channel. So make sure to subscribe. College Football Betting with Aaron Torres. Oh, by the way, make sure to subscribe to the Aaron Torres Pod YouTube channel as well as we're closing in on just under 25,000 subscribers. Appreciate everybody's support. With that said, let's not waste any more time. And let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, listen, I will tell you, sometimes even as the host of this show, I get that I talk about the same thing over and over and over and everything kind of tires itself out, right? I I remember there was a time in in maybe late May, early June where I was just like, I can't do another College Hoops Portal segment. It's time to move on. Um, and, and, And I get anybody who is not a diehard Oregon, Arizona, Washington, whatever fan, that's just kind of over the conversation about the Pac-12. What is the present? What is the future? All that stuff. But I do think it's important to lead the show with it today for this simple reason, for two two reasons, really, why we are going to again talk about the present and future of the Pac-12. One, it is maybe the most fascinating conversation in college sports right now. We are, remember, for people who do not remember, this is important. The Pac-12 has no TV deal beyond the spring of 2024. It is now the summer of 2023, which means that a year from now, 
The Pac-12 will basically only exist in name only. There will be no legal document tying these programs to uh, to each other. And so a year from now, the Pac-12 might not exist, all as we know changes coming to the SEC, the Big Ten, and the Big 12. So that's one reason why we talk about it. But the reason we're talking about it specifically today is because Friday was Pac-12 Media Day. And for the first time, as best I can tell, this calendar year, the commissioner of the Pac-12, George Klyovkov, actually spoke about what is going on with the conference. Is there a TV deal imminent? The last time I can find him publicly speaking about this topic, it was right before the Pac-12 football championship in December. So he's basically been in a bunker doing God knows what, trying to get a TV deal done in the past seven months. And so he had a lot to say on Friday, some of it good, some of it not so good, some of it I do believe in, some of it I don't. Let's get into some of the things that the commissioner said about the current state of the Pac-12. Um, and the first thing he said, I, I think was probably the most important and probably the most frustrating if you're a Pac-12 fan. He was asked point blank to, star, to start the sh- to start Pac-12 Media Day. What is the status of this TV deal? Here's what George Klyovkov said, the commissioner of the Pac-12. He said, we're not announcing a deal on purpose today because I want the focus to be on football. The the next reporter followed up by saying, does that mean a TV deal is done? To which the Pac-12 commissioner said, I think you're looking a little too much into that. To which I say, like, listen, okay, okay. So, so, So again, to reiterate, no TV deal. Nobody has any details. Nobody knows who the partners are. He says he comes to the podium, has not spoken for seven months about the topic, and says, we're not here to talk about the TV deal today. We're here to focus on football. And let let me even say a couple things about that specific quote and that specific comment. On the one hand, I'll sort of defend him. I don't know that you can say anything until paperwork is signed, right? Even if the deal is going better than anyone can imagine behind the scenes. There's stuff going on that none of us know about. And to his credit, the commissioner, he's kept things very close to the vest. Even if great things are coming and the money's going to be better than anything, I get where he would say, like, I can't talk about this. I can't talk about deals and numbers and networks until it's all done. At the same time, what was frustrating to me And what I know was frustrating to Pac-12 fans across the West Coast portion of the country, you had seven months to come up with some sort of explanation as to where we are with the TV deal. You have to have a better answer than, yeah, we're here to focus on football. Okay, let, let, let me give you an analogy. Titanic, you've probably heard of it. It's a boat that sunk. Like, if you're the 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 captain of the Titanic. You can't be talking about how great the steak and the ambiance is on the boat when the boat is sinking. That's essentially what the Pac-12 commissioner did on Friday afternoon. I get that there's only so much you can say. I get, by the way, that the football product is actually pretty good, which we'll talk about here momentarily. But at the same time, nobody cares about the football product. Nobody cares about the reigning Heisman Trophy winner playing for a school that isn't going to be in the conference a year from now. Nobody cares about how good Oregon or Washington or Utah will be this year if they won't be in a conference a year from now that we're currently talking about. And so I get that you can't say anything, but you got to come up with something better than we're focused on football. The whole reason most people were there 
was to get some sort of clarification on what is going on with the league, not just the football. You got to be better. You got to have something. From there, Klyavkov had some other interesting comments that I do want to discuss because, again, it just speaks to the uncertainty about this, this, this conference in the future. Next thing he said when he was pressed on the TV deal, this is what he said. I will tell you what we've seen is the longer we wait for our media deal, the better our options are. I think our board, that's the school presidents, realizes that. There's an underlying shift in the media market that's happening. We're long-term taking advantage of that, but short-term, it may provide some hiccups. So he was pressed on the TV deal. Says he doesn't want to talk about it. Says he wants to focus on football. What does he say from there? He says basically that there is a lot of good things on the horizon, but we have to be patient. The longer we wait for our media deal, the better our options get. My reaction to that. I don't know if I believe it. And, and, and to be clear, again, I I know I'm kind of beating a dead horse here. I think I speak for most college football fans. I speak for most of you when I say, like, we all want the Pac-12 to survive, right? Like, one, it's cool to have a conglomerate of, of West Coast schools that play big-time college football. And I know that, you know, a lot of you are SEC fans or Big Ten fans. Oh, nobody cares about college football out there. Ask anybody who's played at Outson Stadium. Ask anybody who's played at at uh, you know uh, Husky Stadium in Washington. Ask people about going to Utah, which Florida is going to do in Week One on Labor Day weekend. We'll see how the Gators do out in Salt Lake City. There are programs and teams and fan bases that care. So I want to see the Pac-12 succeed. I hope that these miracle TV partners are coming to the table, and we're going to have success. By the way, on top of those programs that I just mentioned, Arizona feels like it's on the way up with Jed Fish. Oregon State has maybe the most underrated coach in college football in Jonathan Smith. You guys know Oregon State won 10 games last year? But again, none of it ultimately matters if this TV deal doesn't get done, and I get that the commissioner has to present an air of confidence, but I will go back to what I said a minute ago. Asking around this league, Asking people that I trust, asking other media members, asking conference officials, asking school officials. I get that the commissioner has to paint a positive, uh, you know, a positive image, but he says the longer we wait for our media deal, the better our options get. I have yet to talk to one person in realignment expansion circles that believes that there are a lot of incredible options out there. What are they and where are they and who are they? Like, like. I haven't talked to anybody that actually believes that they exist. Again, we've been through it. I don't need to re 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 you know re uh, re talk about all of the things that we've talked about in previous weeks. CBS doesn't appear to be interested. They're locked in with their conferences. Fox has the Big Twelve, the Big Ten, uh, the Mountain West. They're locked in. The pack, uh, the 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 uh, NBC locked in with Notre Dame and and the, the Big Ten. So who are these miracle? TV networks that are suddenly interested in them. Maybe they exist, by the way. Maybe ESPN. I was talking to a buddy of mine about this on Saturday. Maybe ESPN kind of realized, listen, as great as the UFC is, as great as boxing is, we can't put together a great UFC card every single Saturday. And having the Pac-12 at, by the way, probably a discount price is better than having SportsCenter or reruns or reruns of 30 for 30 or Slam Ball or uh, Team Tag or whatever they would put on at 11, 12, and 1 a.m. Eastern on Saturday nights 
in the fall. And so maybe that has happened. That is one thing I have never understood. ESPN has three networks to program for ESPN, ESPN two and ESPN U. And I've never understood where they think that they're content without putting any live football on after, you know, basically 10 30 PM, 11 PM Eastern on Saturdays. So maybe ESPN comes to the table. Maybe the streaming services now are interested. It's interesting. If you listen carefully to the words of the commissioner, he said, there are underlying shifts in the media market that are happening. We're long-term taking advantage of that. I will tell you the craziest real, uh, the craziest TV media thing that is going on right now that some people believe. I'm not saying I believe. Some, what do we always say on this show? I tell you what could happen, what should happen, what will happen. But sometimes there are rumors that are so juicy you got to discuss. The rumor that is going around now. And it sounds crazy and maybe it's false and maybe it makes no sense, but it's coming from reputable people. Search for it on social media. Some people believe that all of these streaming services with the writer strike and the actor strike are starting to freak out about having new content, right? You pay all this money for Netflix. You pay all this money for Amazon. You pay all this money for Apple TV. You need stuff to watch on those networks or you're not going to pay for it. And so the belief is maybe some of those streamers are starting to get nervous. Maybe they think signing up with a a league or a conference or a sport is an option. Some of them obviously already have sports. Amazon has Thursday night NFL football. Uh, The MLS has, uh, or um, Apple TV has the MLS and Major League Baseball. So maybe that is it. Maybe that is what is going on. Maybe Apple TV or whomever just needs programming, and that is the changing narratives that the commissioner is talking about. But again, until we see pen to paper, do we believe it? Is that something the presidents will sign off for? Is it enough money to get people to commit to a streaming service when everyone else, the Big Ten, the Pac, the Big Ten, the Big Twelve, and the SEC are going to be on linear linear TV? These are the questions that people are asking. It's great that the Pac-12 commissioner is presenting a strong front, but one, we need more detail. I, you get the point. Lastly, the last thing that stood out to me about George Klyavkov's uh, presentation on Friday, he said this, and this is something I don't believe. He says, our schools are committed to each other and committed to the Pac-12. We'll get our media rights deal done. We'll announce the deal. I think the realignment that's going on in college athletics will come to an end at for this cycle. The truth is we've got bigger fish to fry. I, again, I hope he's right. I don't really believe it, but I hope he's right for two reasons. One, I continue to hear behind the scenes Colorado is not happy. I continue to hear behind the scenes Colorado is ready to make a move. I continue to hear behind the scenes that Colorado is ready to go to the Big 12. This just a few weeks after the Big 12 commissioner, Brett Yormark, what did he say? Remember, we discussed it on this show. I'd be disappointed if we don't get to 14 members soon. Colorado seems like the most logical landing spot. Beyond that, it's just simple, you know, economics, right? Is it's simple, it's it's any deal that you've ever agreed to, whether it's to buy a house, whether it's to get married, whether it's whatever. I get that the 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 the, the commissioner has to say these things. Our schools are committed to each other in the Pac-12. Well, the longer you go, the more days that pass without getting all 10 schools to sign a piece of paper the more likely it is that they break off, the more likely it is that they look for other options, the more likely it is that they take advantage of other options. So this is all a long way of me saying, listen, 
I wish the Pac-12 nothing but the best. But until we get some sort of substantial report or rumor or whatever that there is actually a bidder and a network and whomever actually interested in taking their inventory, I just don't know that I believe it. Commissioner said what he could. I think he should have come out a little bit stronger than we're here to talk about football. I get it. But until that happens, I think there's going to be concern, consternation from fans, from whatever, coaches. And I think schools are going to continue to look at other options. If I was George Klyovkov, I get you got to get the deal done. I get you got to get the numbers. But at the same time, longer you wait, the more these other schools are going to look around. All right, I just want to do take a quick break. And when I come back, I want to talk about some of the actual football stuff from Pac-12 Media Day. Because the one thing I will say, and I just mentioned it a minute ago, the football product is actually should be pretty good this year. Caleb Williams had some interesting comments, some other stuff from Pac-12 Media Day. Quick break. Be right back. All right, we're going to get back to the show in a minute. But before we do, I want to welcome back our presenting sponsor, Betfred Sportsbook and the Betfred Sportsbook app. By now, you know Betfred's story started in 1967 in the UK, over a thousand shops in the UK, and they have now come to the United States and made a major splash. They are the presenting sponsor of not only all things Aaron Torres Media, but the Colorado Rockies, the Denver Broncos, the Cincinnati Bengals. And what I love about Betfred, nobody takes care of their customers quite like Betfred does. I've been telling you that for a year. We have sent listeners of the Aaron Torres pod to Denver Broncos VIP tailgates. The Betfred suite at Cincinnati Bengals games is rocking. Betfred betters have thrown out first pitch at the Colorado Rockies games. Nobody takes care of their customers quite like Betfred. And here is what they are doing for you right now. How about this? Bet $50 on any game. Get up to $1,111 in free bets. Here's how it works. Download the Betfred Sportsbook app. Bet 50 bucks on anything you want to bet on. You automatically get $111 in free bets. But beyond that, you get up to $200 in insurance for your first five weeks as a Betfred customer, totaling $1,111 in free bets. I've told you for a year, nobody takes care of their customers quite like Betfred. They're the only book that I bet with. And I want to thank Betfred for being our presenting sponsor. Everybody, I'm back. Gonna be back. Gonna be back. Don't want to switch gears, sort of, but not really. I do actually want to stay on the Pac-12 because here's what you need to know, kind of about the college sports landscape, right? Basketball, we're pretty much done, except for the random recruiting story, like the one we'll wrap the show with. Uh, SEC Media Days is complete. We talked everything you need to know about SEC Media Days last week. Big Ten Media Days uh, is coming up later this week. I think it's a little early to start rolling out previews, predictions, things like that. So what I want to do is just spend a few minutes talking about the Pac-12 and the -the on-the-field product this year coming out of their Media Day Friday. And what I would say about the Pac-12, I can personally disagree with a lot of the decision-making that's gone on, with some of the leadership things that have gone on in this league. I do agree with the commissioner, George Klyovkov, on one thing, though. The football product on the field this year, I believe, is going to be excellent, and I'll take it a step further. I believe that outside the SEC, listen, nobody is as good as the SEC, as deep as the SEC, as much talent as the SEC, et cetera. I think you can make a case 
The Pac-12 is the second best conference in college football this year. Now, the top of the Big Ten with Ohio State, Michigan, and Penn State is better. Um, the top maybe of even the ACC with Clemson and Florida State this year might be better as well. But when you talk about a league, one through six, I believe we'll all be in the top 25 to start the year. I think even you get to seven, eight, nine, Arizona should be improved. We'll talk about them. Colorado is certainly going to be improved. I don't think there's going to be a more competitive, more fun league to talk about on a game-to-game basis. And so instead of just focusing on the negative from the the comments and the future and all that, let's focus on some of the positives and some of the storylines that came out of Pac-12 Media Day on Friday. Obviously, I think the only fair place to start, it's with the team that was picked to win the league and certainly the most fascinating team in this conference with the most dynamic player in this conference. That, of course, is the USC Trojans. USC did not win the Pac-12 last year. That was Utah. But I'll say this for for USC, and I said it last year during the season. I don't think Lincoln Riley got enough credit for what he did at USC last year. And I get that he brought Caleb Williams with him. And I get that he was able to use the portal to bring in the Jordan Addisons of the world, guys like that. But USC, and I say this as somebody who's lived out in LA for a couple of years now, probably about a decade actually, USC was a freaking dumpster fire before Lincoln Riley got there. And then Lincoln Riley comes, and again, I get that he brought his quarterback with him, the eventual Heisman Trophy winner. But like overnight, they were just awesome again. And I know they fell short in the Pac-12 championship game. But remember, this was a team that went 11-1 and in the regular season. The only loss was by one point at Utah. They were actually up 17-3 on Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. Don't want to discredit what the Utes did. But Caleb Williams gets hurt. It's never the same. And Utah ends up winning the league. Remember, if USC had won the Pac-12 championship game, they were going to the playoff last year, which is crazy to think about. So I want to talk a little bit about USC, but I thought actually probably outside of the commissioner, the most interesting comments came from Caleb Williams himself about the Trojans and about the season ahead. He was kind of asked about last year and asked about making the playoff this year. He said, I'm very determined. I haven't been in the college football playoff in my two years of playing college football. It's been tough. It bothers me because I play for championships. I don't play for anything else. So not being able to have the chance and being so close frustrates me. This year, it's going to be a good one. And then he was kind of asked to expand. And he said, I have plays in my mind that I can think of vividly. I zone out and think of the play and where we were at and all that. It's for sure about a championship. I know I'm not the only one. So I saw some headlines where it was like, Caleb Williams guarantees playoff trip. And I'm not sure Caleb Williams did that, but I think USC, from a granular kind of 30,000 foot perspective, not just in the Pac-12, but certainly maybe in all of college football, one of the most fascinating teams you could think of. Because when you look at this program, when you look at the coach and the quarterback, listen, We know that one through 85, they're not as good as most of the top of college football. Forget Georgia. They're not as good as Alabama. They're not as good as uh, Clemson. They're not as good as Florida State. They're not as good as, they're not, I'll say, say this. They're not as good one through 85 as Texas. But you go through and you start thinking about what this team would look like to have to face with Caleb Williams and all that skill position talent. You know, they're kind of that team that I think there's a lot of teams in college football. They wouldn't hate if USC took a few losses during the regular season, so they would not have to face them in the postseason. Um, For USC, listen, in terms of the the results stuff and all that, 
It goes without saying. Like, it's going to come down to, is the defense improved? And I think bluntly, like, do they have enough bodies? We talked about this a little bit with LSU last week. LSU, the frontline talent is unbelievable. But Brian Kelly's taken 35, 40 transfers over the last couple of years. It's because they don't have enough bodies. And that's what I worry about with USC. Everyone's focused on the frontline guys that USC added this offseason. They added two defensive tackles from the SEC. Bear Alexander from Georgia, Anthony Lucas from Texas A&M. They added Oklahoma State's best linebacker, Mason Cobb, an all-Big uh, all 12 player. That's all well and good. But you know the difference between USC and Georgia? Georgia has eight SEC-caliber offensive uh, defensive linemen, 10, 12 of them. USC has like two of them. And so like, like LSU, I do wonder, does, LS, does USC have enough depth, especially on defense, to, to sustain over the course of the season? The other thing with USC, look at the back half of their schedule. It is clear to me, I don't think the Pac-12 wants USC representing this conference in the college football playoff. Maybe that's hyperbole, but here is the final six games of USC's schedule. First six are very manageable, by the way. The, the final six, at Notre Dame, Utah at home, at Cal, okay, that should be an easy one, Washington at home, at Oregon, UCLA. I'm here to tell you, five of those six teams will probably be ranked in the top 25 come the first AP poll when it comes out. Notre Dame's going to be ranked. USC has to play at Notre Dame at night. Utah is going to be ranked. Washington is going to be ranked. Oregon is going to be ranked. you got to play at outs in the second to last week of the season. UCLA to end the year. That's what's going to be worth watching with USC. Listen, I'm here to tell you right now. I'm going to make a prediction right now. It's July 24th as you listen to this. USC is going to start 6-0, but all the buzz is going to be, oh, my God, they might even get to number one, number two in the country because maybe not number one. But Alabama is probably going to take a loss here or there. LSU is going to. Texas is going to. Whatever. And then we're going to hit mid to late October. I think it's going to be tough for them to keep it up. So that's worth what's worth watching with USC. But Caleb Williams, how about him? Essentially guaranteeing uh, a college football playoff appearance. A couple other narratives worth following in the Pac-12. The team that I'll tell you I'm most intrigued by, there's a lot of Washington buzz this offseason. I actually think we're looking at the, the wrong school in the Pacific Northwest. It's Oregon. And I'll say this. like I don't think people realize how many years Oregon has been knocking on the door but just can't quite break through. And when you talk about teams that if there was a 12-team playoff over the last 15, 10, 15 years, like Oregon probably would have been in that bad boy five, six, seven times. Last year, just like in 2022 or 2021, just like the year that Justin Herbert was there in 2019, Oregon entered November with the chance to make the college football playoff. They were eight and one. Only loss was to Georgia in the opening game. Remember, they went down to Georgia to play in Georgia that opening game. And so you fast forward, they're eight and one. Everything's going good. Lose to Washington late in the year when Bo Nix gets hurt. And then they lose to Oregon State to end the year. Still finished with 10 wins with the bowl game. This team has a chance, I believe, to be really good this coming season. And it really starts with Bo Nix, right? Um, Bo Nix, we can make fun of him. We can criticize. We can whatever. He was a different dude last year at Oregon. 72% completion percentage, 29 touchdowns, 7 interceptions. Also, oh, by the way, 14 rushing touchdowns. Really good last year at Oregon. They returned most of their skill position talent, including Bucky Irving, 1,000-yard rusher. By the way, great name, Bucky Irving. 
uh, multiple really good wide receivers. They added a couple really good wide receivers in the portal. The defense has been beefed up. Remember, DJ Uyla-Ganlele's younger brother, Mateo, five-star defensive end, is now at Oregon. I'm telling you, I think there's so much focus on USC and so much focus on Washington. Oregon might be the team that nobody's talking about, or I don't want to say nobody's talking about it. Not enough people are talking about. Really quick, a couple other teams. You know, Washington, can I tell you a, a crazy thing? I think now that we're back in college football mode, people remember this. Anyone else remember? Washington won. Guess how many games? Like, like I'm going to... I'm going to play a game. Take a moment, deep breath. How many games do you remember Washington winning last year? Seven, eight, nine. Washington won 11 games last year. Washington went 11 and two year one under Kalen DeBoer. uh, And it was obviously in large part because of the transfer of Michael Penix came from Indiana, had played for Kalen DeBoer, the Washington head coach uh, at Indiana Kalen DeBoer was the offensive coordinator many years ago, transfers, and essentially has a pseudo Heisman Trophy winning type season, finishes last year with over 4,600 yards passing, 31 touchdowns, um, and and it, it leads to just a fascinating season entering this year for, um, you know, for Washington. This is a team that was 11-2, and two, many believe is good enough to win the Pac-12 and make the college football playoff. Now, I have some trepidation. I have some nervousness just because of the fact that Michael Penix hasn't been able to stay healthy. Uh, oh, by the way, get get this. Michael Penix right now, plus 1,600 to win the Heisman Trophy. That is the same as Drake May. That is the same as Bo Nix. That's less. That Those are better odds than Marvin Harrison, Sam Hartman from Notre Dame, Joe Milton from, from Tennessee. So Michael Penix is a stud. The big question for Washington, can he stay healthy? He's really struggled with health over the course of his career. Was phenomenal last year. Obviously would never root against it. And then also, the other thing is the schedule is just tougher. Last year, Michigan State came to Washington. They destroyed Michigan State. This year, they got to go to East Lansing. Also have at USC, Utah at home. Washington didn't play either of those teams last year. At Oregon or at Oregon State, excuse me, Oregon is at home. So that's worth keeping an eye on with Washington. I, that's the one I'm a little lower on than most other people seem to be higher. Got to wait and see on Washington. Higher on Oregon than most, lower on Washington. Couple other teams worth keeping an eye on. Listen, Utah's awesome, man. Utah is the back to back reigning champ in this league. And you kind of do your homework on them. Kyle Whittingham, how about this? has said this is the best offensive and defensive lines that he has had since he got to Utah, and that's a program that has made its hay along the lines of scrimmage. I think the big thing with them, what is the health of their quarterback, Cam Rising? Remember, Cam Rising has been a multi-year starter both years that they won the Pac-12. He gets hurt in the Rose Bowl, unable to, to, to go through spring ball, tore his ACL. They say he's ready for the start of fall camp. That remains to be seen. Also remember this with Utah, another team with a brutal schedule, and it starts early. They host Florida week one. Billy Napier and co. Utah will be favored if if Cam Rising, um, you know, if Cam Rising is healthy. They're like almost a 10-point favorite right now, Utah is, but you got to make sure that he's healthy. Obviously, outside of that, UCLA, uh, five-star quarterback Dante Moore. We'll see how he does, replacing Dorian Thompson Robinson. Also, a couple other teams to watch out for. Oregon State. Kind of in that same Washington mode. They won, Oregon State won 10 games last year. Insane. I don't know how many people outside of Corvallis know it. 
The other team I got my eye on, Arizona. Had five, They went 5-7 and seven last year, year two under Jed Fish. They were awesome offensively. Jacob Cowing, 85 catches. Jaden Delora at quarterback. Um, really great offensively. They obviously beat UCLA. Remember to knock UCLA out of playoff contention. The defense has to be better. But I'll tell you this. You want to start talking about best bets? Torres is one of my official best bets for the start of the season. The Betfred Sportsbook currently has Arizona at four and a half wins as they're over under. I'm here to tell you they're going over. It's just a matter of if it's five, if it's six, if it's seven. Arizona is much improved. Really quickly, a couple of news and notes from Pac-12 Media Day. Uh, One, Caleb Williams, we just talked about. He may have said something that he shouldn't have. (laughs) Did you see him basically admit that there may have been major tampering going on? Because he did at Pac-12 Media Day. This quote came from Justin Spears, who covers Arizona. Justin's a friend of mine. I've I've been on his uh, radio show, I think, once or twice. But um, he was asked about uh, Arizona wide receiver Dorian Singer. Okay, Uh, Dorian Singer is a transfer from Arizona. We were just talking about Jed Fish and the Wildcats. And he had seven catches at 141 yards against uh, UC or USC last year, USC won, but it was a high scoring shootout. Caleb Williams said this about his new wide receiver, Dorian Singer. He made a bunch of great catches against us last season. And I looked over to one of our coaches and said, after this season, are we going to go get him? I'm not saying that's tampering, but I'm not saying it's not tampering either. Listen, li- this is the world that we live in. I get it. A couple things, by the way, I should mention one. You talk to Arizona people, that isn't really how they perceive it to have happened. Arizona had a crowded wide receiver room. And so even though Dorian Singer was one of the most prolific receivers in college, in the Pac-12 last year, finished with over 1,000 yards receiving, um, you know, Arizona has a lot of really good receiver talent. As I mentioned, Jacob Cowing transfer last year from UTEP is awesome. Uh, the five-star uh, kid, McMillan, who's a, a second-year player, Really good. Arizona added Montana Lamonius Craig. You may remember him. He was the breakout star of the Colorado spring game, then decides to enter the transport. I'm going on. The point I'm trying to make, I don't think Arizona feels like he was definitively tampered with, but Caleb Williams, not sure this is something you should have said. Um, You know, and I do wonder if after Pac-12 media days, uh, Lincoln Riley had a little talk with Caleb Williams. Like, man, I love you, but you can't say it. You guys and girls know where I stand on the portal, tampering all that. I don't like it, uh, and I've I've never blamed somebody like Pat Narduzzi for speaking out against it. Same with Lane Kiffin last week, as we discussed. But Caleb Williams kind of sort of maybe admitting to tampering. And then lastly, kind of a little bit of a, a, a bummer, but it is what it is. Um, that was that Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, was not at Pac-12 Media Day. Um, he had surgery a few months ago or about a month ago for blood clots in his left leg. Now he had surgery for blood clots in his right leg. And that was why he was unable to be there at PAC 12 media day. Let me just say, go on the internet. There's a lot of rumors as to what the blood clots are, how it happened, all that good stuff. I am staying the heck out of that conversation. You could probably figure it out. Um, but it, it, it has raised a couple questions like, like what is his health? Now, it is worth noting, Charles Kelly, the defensive coordinator, did go to Pac-12 Media Day, and this is what he said on Deion Sanders' status. His whole thing was he wanted to be full go by the time we started fall camp, Kelly said. 
So he had to do it. I know he hates that he missed this, but we need him full go. Um, you know, listen, I'll just say this. Um, I mean, I hope Deion Sanders is okay. Uh, you know, I think that kind of pretty much goes without saying, right. Is that I hope he's okay. I hope he's good to go. Um, cause I think it'll be really good for college football. If he is a hundred percent, I hope uh, it'll be really good for college football. If he is on the sidelines, ready to go. And if he is, I'm here to tell you, I think, I think Colorado could surprise some teams. Now the PAC 12 is so good that I don't know that it will matter all that much because there's just not a lot of easy wins on the schedule, but I bring it up because it's good for college football. And I'll say this too. We just talked about the PAC 12, big 12, who's going to get rated. Who is isn't? I think a lot of what makes the PAC or, or the Colorado so appealing to the big 12 is the idea of coach prime in the big 12. So we will see what happens. I hope this is just a blip on the radar, but this is a story to keep an eye on multiple surgeries in the last month. Certainly, certainly, certainly hope he's okay. Not speculating on anything. Do think this is something worth monitoring. All right. So what I'll do take a quick break. And when I come back, we are going to wrap just a tiny little bit of college hoops news. How about them? UConn Huskies picking up a really good guard named Ahmad Noel. Talk about that, but more importantly, why I think UConn is slowly starting to emerge as a college hoops recruiting power. Quick break. Be right back. All right, everybody. I'm back. Going to be back. Going to be back. Do want to switch gears. And and I'll say this. You know, listen, I, I led the show with this, and, and it is true. I think we're going to hit a little bit of a quiet stretch here over the next couple of weeks in the lead up to football season. SEC media days is done. So like that big rush of content that we got from the football perspective is done. Now we go into practices, probably not a lot of media availabilities, probably a quiet couple of weeks in football and certainly a quiet couple of weeks in basketball. Now I know a lot of teams are going to do foreign tours and things of that nature, but portal recruiting is done. High school recruiting probably will not really pick back up until everybody gets back to campus and kids start taking official visits in the fall. With that said, when there is relevant news in college basketball and college basketball recruiting, we are going to hit on it on the Aaron Torres pod. And I do believe we got a piece of information today that was worth discussing. Today being Sunday, that was because on Sunday, one of the top high school players, in my opinion, in the class of 2024, Amon Noel, a six-foot point guard from Pennsylvania, did in fact make his college decision, so one of the best point guards that is set to be a senior this coming season. Kid was down to four schools, Tennessee, Kentucky, Georgia Tech, and the reigning national champion, UConn, and drumroll please, Amon Noel, six-foot guard from Pennsylvania, chooses the University of Connecticut. So shout out those UConn Huskies, second big-time commitment for UConn in the past couple days. More importantly, you look at the trajectory of this program. All kinds of sound effects today. They are on the way up. And I'm going to tell you this. I think UConn over the next two, three, four years really could go on quite a wild recruiting run. Now let's start by talking about the player. As I said, I'm on Noel. He's actually only a four-star guard. I don't get it. We're going to get into why in a minute, because to me, this guy is the complete package at the high school level. Now, listen, nothing's perfect. Uh, nobody's a, a perfect prospect, and he is a little bit on the smaller side. Six-foot guard, um, but really does everything else at a very elite elite level, in my opinion. 
He's strong. He's powerful. He can get to the rim. He can finish at the rim. He's a pretty good three-point shooter. He is a guy that gets others involved as well. Actually finished second in the EYBL this offseason in or this season, excuse me, in assists per game. So to me, he was one of the best guards all summer that I saw. And then on top of that, just look at who he had the option to play for. The defending national champions, UConn, Kentucky. Listen, you can criticize John Calipari for whatever. John Calipari doesn't recruit guys that he doesn't think can play in the NBA. Tennessee, they've put a ton of dudes in the league over the last couple of years. Georgia Tech, Damon Stoudemire. Remember, Damon Stoudemire is the Georgia Tech head coach. Came from, played in the NBA, came from the NBA where he was a Boston Celtics assistant. Again, you think he's recruiting guys that he doesn't think can play at the ACC level and probably the NBA level? So to me, this kid is very undervalued. And I'll take it a step further. I think this very much falls in line with who Dan Hurley has been as a head coach. A guy that has been able to identify guys that far out, you know, basically outpace their recruiting ranking. What do I mean by that? Well, this kid is ranked right now, as I record, the 36th ranked player in the 24-7 sports rankings. It's no knock on the guys who do this for a living. They're very good. They work very hard. But if there are 35 better players in this class, then the class of 2024 is a wildly underrated class. And everyone's saying that it is a class that doesn't have a ton of talent. If there are 35 better players than this guy, I want to see them. And he's a guy that I think as time goes on, you can mark it down right now, I think is only going to see his ranking continue to improve. By the way, as I said, that would fall in line with Dan Hurley, who, as I've said before on this show, I think he's starting to establish himself. Forget, not forget, but national championship coach, we get it. But beyond that, his eye for talent is through the roof astronomical. And we've seen over the last couple of years, a lot of guys outperform their recruiting ranking. And oh, by the way, we see guys now when they're committing to UConn, they shoot up the rankings because the recruiting people are like, wait a second now, if Dan Hurley likes him, he must be pretty good. Let me give you an example. UConn, this coming year, Donovan Klingon, seven foot two, seven foot three center. You know, Donovan Klingon, who is who would have been a first round pick if he had declared this year, who is projected as a top 10 pick in the 2024 draft. You understand Donovan Klingon? wasn't even in the top 30 in the high school rankings for most of his high school years. Now I get it. Played at the local school in Connecticut, Bristol Central. Shout out, I think it's the Rams. I want to say it's the Rams. Maybe that's Bristol Eastern. I can't remember. Bristol Central, great school, by the way. Uh, You know, all sorts of talented players coming out of there through the years. But why I bring it up, he wasn't even a top 30 prospect for most of his high school career. Now he's going to be a top 10 pick. Certainly would have been a top 30 pick this year in the draft. And he wasn't even top 30 in his own class. Stefan Castle, UConn, guard this class. He's going to be a freshman this coming year. When he committed, wasn't a top 30 prospect. By the end of the cycle, he was a top 10 prospect. Now many are saying that he, along with Donovan Klingon, will be a top 10 pick as well. Jordan Hawkins just went in the NBA draft lottery. You know, he was a he was a fringe top 50 player in his class. Now, granted. I will say this, he was part of the COVID year, graduated in 2021, the summer before, nobody could see him in person. So I get that there were extenuating circumstances with him, but you go through Dan Hurley's track record. I am here to tell you, this dude sees stuff in guys that others don't. By the way, James Booknight, who's in the NBA, was, a, I think, a 
top 40 to 50 player. Tyrese Martin, who was drafted in the second round in 2022, he wasn't ranked in the top 200 players in his class coming out of high school, was drafted by the Atlanta Hawks. Finally, let me say this about UConn. I think UConn, over the next couple years, we could legitimately be looking at the next great recruiting power in college basketball. Now, a couple things. I don't know if Dan Hurley, if he is going to just target the best players because Dan Hurley is about development, relationships, bonding. He's certainly never going to hold a player back if they're ready to leave after a year or two. But I think he'd, let, he'd prefer to get guys in the program for two, three years, get his hands on them, get to know them, develop them, et cetera. But why I bring it up is because through the years, UConn actually has not been a historically dominant recruiting power. Jim Calhoun had some very high-profile guys, Rudy Gay, uh, Charlie Villanueva, Andre Drummond. But for the most part, his best players were not can't-miss high school prospects, okay? Emeka Okafor. If I remember correctly, I think it was like Rice and, and, and Vandy. Like Okafor was a great academic student. There weren't a lot of Big East schools that were after him. Kemba Walker, I can tell you for a fact, his second best offer at the time that he committed to UConn was Cincinnati. Shout out Mick Crone and Big Mick Energy, baby. But the bottom line is not everybody was after Kemba. Ray Allen, I know that uh, you know Kentucky was after him because there's a famous quote of him talking about Rick Pitino recruiting him. But he grew up in South Carolina. Most of the ACC, the North Carolinas, the Dukes were not after him. So UConn has never recruited at the highest level. But this is the reality for the Huskies right now. Off to a great start in 2024. Two really good players. This kid, Ahmad Noel, and then also a forward named Isaiah Abraham. 2023, remember a year ago, this past class, they had the number three ranked class in the country behind only Kentucky and Duke. Oh, by the way, what's going to be interesting is what happens going forward. They're in right now in 2024, 2025, and 2026 with a caliber of player the likes of which UConn really has never recruited. Most notably, as I told you last week, Cooper Flagg may be the best player in high school basketball. He's from Maine. His mom played with Donovan Klingon's mom in college. Um, UConn is recruiting this kid as hard as anybody. Now everybody thinks he's going to Duke. UConn ain't backing down. And by the way, what does UConn have to? What does Duke have to offer that UConn doesn't at this point with John Shire as its head coach? I don't know. I'm just saying whatever. Also worth noting, AJ Debonsa. Number one player in the class of 2026. Some believe he's the best player in high school basketball. Just finished his freshman year, about to be a sophomore. That's a kid that is from Boston. He's going to play his prep school ball uh, out in California. But when the two best players, arguably, in high school basketball are from Maine and Boston, you think UConn's going to be in the mix. So you look at UConn. Number three class last year. Trending towards the top three, four class in 2024. 2025, the best player is a New England guy that UConn is very much after. 2026, UConn is after the top player as well. All worth noting. Could mean nothing, could mean whatever. But I'm here to tell you, UConn is rolling under Dan Hurley. UConn recruiting is rolling, and I don't think it is going to slow down anytime soon. All right, I think that's it for this episode of the Air Tour Sports Podcast. Uh, it is time for me to get out of here. Before I do couple things. Please make sure to subscribe to the Aaron Torres podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed. Also make sure to rate and review the show. If you could, if you don't mind, go on that little Apple page, give me a quick five stars, 
really does help us move up those iTunes charts. And if you're not subscribed on YouTube, make sure to do that. Again, Aaron Torres on YouTube. All you got to do is a quick search. Should mention, by the way, as I said, our college football betting page is up and running. In addition to the Aaron Torres pod, we also have the College Hoops betting page where uh, where we're breaking down all of the over-under win totals in college football heading into the year. So make sure that you're subscribed there as we are just getting that page launched and really excited for that for the fall. That's it for today's show. Again, time for me to get out of here. Thank you guys and girls for your support. And listen, we're going to keep rolling into the fall. Got some fun stuff planned for August. Be you know, Take one last little trip before the season starts. And boy, oh boy, I got some fun stuff planned with some fun guests planned before the start of the season. Thank you guys and girls for listening. That's all for today's show. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to JJ Reddick, you F-head. Unblock me, bro. I will be back on Wednesday. New episode. Aaron Torres. Sports Podcast.